you pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there anything here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Hey, when you read the Christmas story, sometimes mm-hmm. you think that it ends with the coming of the shepherds, but there were other people. Oh yeah, like the wise men. Well, before them. Before? There were two other people very early in the story. Well, we never talk about them. Well, we're going to today. We'll do that today on, on More, More Than, Than Ink. Ink. Well, good morning to you. This is Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And uh, we are broadcasting today, uh, if you're listening in the Greater Salt Lake area, we're broadcasting actually on Christmas Eve of 2022. So uh, so we're going to take a break in our looking at Exodus, and we're going to take a look at Christmas for just a brief time. And uh, when you think about all the, I guess, all the most popular faces you know in the Christmas story, they show up on all your nativity scenes and stuff like that. We're going to talk about a couple of people that are in the story, but just don't figure very high in people's visibility this time of year. Well, and it's interesting that since we've been talking about Exodus, that there are actually references to parts of Exodus in this account. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when we come to talk about the, the offerings for a newborn baby and the um, the things that they yeah. went to the temple to do, We're those are referenced in, yeah. in Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the Old Testament is very present in this part of the Christmas story. Actually, it's very present in all of the Christmas story. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not very present with us when we just do regular Christmas, though. So anyway, the two people. It's true. But I, let me just say this, that yeah. I, it occurred to me that as we're reading this passage from Luke 2, that just as you're listening, you might be making a note or two to look down these Old Testament cross-references, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. You, in your Bible, there will be references to your Old Testament in all of this conversation that we're going to look at today. And check those things out, because it adds a deepened understanding of what was happening here. Right. This is a very Jewish story. Yeah, yeah. And you'll see this as it unfolds. So we are not looking so much at Mary and Joseph, although they'll be in this story. We're not looking at the wise men. We're not looking. There's just a lot of people we're not looking at. So today we're looking at what I called two strangers. And uh, so let's just find out who they are. Should we just dive in, you think? Sure. Okay. Sure. So Luke gives us a context before we get in and meet these two people. And uh, we're in Luke 2. It's probably best to start in verse 21 because you can get a context of where we are relative to the birth of Jesus time-wise. So you want to pick it up for us there at Luke 2.21? Sure. Now, this is a week after Jesus was born. So this says verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Okay. Can we stop there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes, yeah. uh, we've talked about the fact that that sons were often named for their fathers, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But this baby was named. God gave a name before he was conceived. Uh, right, Yeshua right. is the Jewish version of that name, which is an Anglicized version of Joshua, right? right. So, which means, or it's a New Testament version of Joshua. Joshua, yeah. that's what mm-hmm, I meant. Yeah. Um, that it means God is salvation. God is salvation. So, yeah. in a sense, Jesus's name did indicate the business of his father because uh-huh. it's 
it's God's business to save, right? right? That's what God is doing. Because we've said this before, the oldest son bears the name of the father because the oldest son carries on the business right. of the father. In right. a way, he doesn't really have a life of his own. He carries forward the life of the family, the father's family. So, yeah, so you're right. In this particular case, his name is not Joseph because he's not carrying on right. the business of Joseph. He's carrying the business of the father. Of his own. The Savior. His yeah. own father. Okay, so yeah. that's just that little bit. So this is a week after he was born. Right. Eight days. Right. Verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was, you want to stop there? This is just the next step. So he's so we we waited eight days for him to be circumcised and named. That that's what we looked at before. And now here we are sometime later, uh that time for purification. And uh this is actually over a month later. Right. When when you look at the constraints, uh when you go back and you find out uh when she's supposed to do this, there is a sort of the dedication of the baby, the firstborn, but also a purification for her. Right. And so that's uh, that's actually 33 days after the circumcision. You know, you overcount one day. So, so yeah, so here we are uh, over a month after the birth of Jesus. Which so, but, always, okay, a month-old baby is still pretty little. It's pretty little. Yeah, we're, <laughs> you're talking infant stuff. But it's giving them a second cause in the Christmas story to come back to the temple. Right. Not just for circumcision and naming, but now that's for this purification. So 40 days later, here we are back at the temple. I always wondered where they'd gone back to Nazareth and back again. We don't know. I doubt if they, they did. Pro- they I probably they're stayed. probably still in Bethlehem. Yeah, it's it's a two-day trip one way to get to well, Nazareth. Now, we know that they're still in Bethlehem when the wise men come some two years Later. Yes, but I'm pretty sure they went back to Nazareth and came back to Bethlehem. In between? Yeah. Well, okay. That's another topic for another day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you get that from. <laughs> well, because because the killing of the babies was two years old and younger. younger. Right. So it could very well be that they've been out of town since the baby was born for two years. So. That, that could be the case. Uh, we, we just yeah. don't know. We're we speculating. Know. We're speculating. But at least we're back. We're in Jerusalem now, right now, right. as the second event's happening at the temple. So we're back at the temple. And as they come, just to do this very simple thing, they just need to do this offering. They brought two two birds for this offering. Then uh, suddenly they're intercepted by our one of our two strangers today. Okay, but let's talk about the two birds for a minute, because uh, it says that they brought those that pair of turtle doves or young pigeons according to the law. Yeah. And the law says in Leviticus that actually you should bring a lamb uh-huh. and a pigeon. Lamb and a bird, yeah. And, and the lamb represents the whole burnt offering. Right, And right. The, the bird is the sin offering, mm-hmm. but unless you're very poor and you can't afford a lamb. In which case you can bring yeah. the two pigeons. So this yeah. tells us that they were living they hand were, to mouth. They were poor. They just barely were making ends meet. Yep, they couldn't yep. afford to bring a lamb. Well, they're they're newly married, you know. So right, yeah, so they're and they're not away rich. from home. They're yep. whatever they're carrying is what they have. Yeah, yeah. And you can track down the offering in in Leviticus twelve if you want. But this is pretty clear. This is what you're supposed to do. So they're doing it. As observant Jews mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And also part of this is not just her purification, but it's also a dedication of the firstborn. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there was a, a, a ceremony that happened at the time where you would actually lay out before the Lord, this is your firstborn and you're giving him to the Lord. So that's what they're doing here. Symbolically, they're saying we're giving him to you. Although, you know, by his naming, we already know that he's Okay, but that father's. harkens back to Exodus. Exodus 13 2 and 12 is where the Lord laid out. Now, the firstborn of every that opens every womb belongs to me. Belongs to me. He's mine. Right, right. You shall bring him to the Lord. And, yeah. And 
dedicate, make a sacrifice. Yeah, we to read redeem that him. weeks ago here in Exodus. Long 13. time back, yeah. but Exodus is still very present yeah, here very in present. this story. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's meet our first stranger. Okay. Okay. Introduce Verse 25. Him. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Okay. Let's stop. Simeon is our first first stranger, and he intercepts them as they're on their way to the temple to do their thing. And uh, and it, it clearly tells us that Simeon is not just a nobody. He, uh, by the Holy Spirit, has been brought to this moment to intercept them. And uh, when he when he sees them carrying the baby Jesus, he realizes this is the one he's been waiting for. Well, and we're told twice here the Holy Spirit is very active in prompting and mm-hmm. and, uh, and and enabling Simeon to connect with right. them because there would have been a lot of people coming and going in the temple on any day uh, right, doing yeah. things. It's there a could busy have been place. any number of people bringing babies for dedication uh, or offerings for any kinds of sins. It's a busy place. Yeah. yeah. So he so this is a divine appointment and uh, God yeah. promised him, promised him said before you die you're going to see the Messiah. So what exactly was Simeon looking for? Cuz it says he was devout he was watching, waiting mm-hmm. for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel. That's Isn't that a great a, phrase? It is. So I looked that word yeah. up. You know yeah. what word it is in Greek? What? Paraklesis. Uh-huh. Right. It is. He's looking for the one who's going to come alongside, come alongside. Israel. Yep. To because, because when someone's grieving and you console them, you come alongside. So if you get that picture of someone coming next to you, putting their arm yeah. around you and saying, I'll pray with you, I'll be with you. It's the nearness of consoling. So that's, yeah, so that's what we're, that's what we're looking at here. So, I mean, by by the Holy Spirit, Simeon is aware of this great longing yeah. of the people, uh, a spiritual longing for God to mm-hmm. come near. And he's watching and waiting, and the Spirit prompts him, moves him in some way, and says, head to the temple, because today's the day. <laughs> and I, I don't think Jesus, as a baby, looked any different than any other babies. Well, no. So, I mean, a lot of, don't speculate that, well, maybe the baby was glowing or something <laughs> like that, or, you know. You know An artistic to, license. Or, or had or had a cloud over him or something like that. And I, we, we don't know. I, this is, the Spirit clearly has made this, has made this meeting happen according to the promise God made to Simeon, and there it is. So now, he's watching. So he's watching. It's interesting, though, that he decides to proclaim something, and once he sees the baby, he's not silent he doesn't just say thank you folks this is the messiah by the way and then splits he says some really some interesting things my eyes have seen your salvation so he realizes jesus uh, you know is named you know for salvation yeah god is salvation and i have seen it and that in in 31 and and this is a salvation that god has prepared in the presence of all the peoples Mm. which is an interesting phrase because usually the messiah is the savior of israel he's the jewish messiah but here 
Uh, Simeon, by the by, the utterance of the Holy Spirit, is saying, "No, this is a salvation that was prepared in the presence of all the peoples." Okay, but this is not a new idea. Right. Isaiah says it over and over and over again about it's, the light to refrain. the Gentiles, yeah, yeah. even the Gentiles, and him the Gentiles will hope. Yeah, yeah. So, and, it, and, well, the beginning of this very famous Christmas passage that we all know, right unto us, a child, a child is, born, is born, a son is given. Yeah. But a few verses before that, it says, uh, "By the way of the sea, the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles." Galilee the, the people yeah. who walk in darkness will see a great light. Yeah. So fortunate for us as Gentiles, the Christmas story is not just <laughs> a Jewish too. story. It's for Gentiles. And uh, so, so uh, you know, and then he goes on and says, he's a light for revelation, a light for revelation mm. to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Uh, you know, a light is always symbolic of bringing understanding when there is no understanding. In the darkness, you can't right. see the way things are. Light right. allows you to see the way things are. So what he's saying very clearly here is the Gentiles are going to have light to show them the way things really are. They were in the darkness about this plan on, of, on God's part for salvation, even for them. But this coming of this one will bring that light and will give them understanding. I think that's just great. Well, and we know later Jesus in his ministry actually did reach yeah. out to Gentiles. Yep. yep. Not not all the time and not not um, it wasn't the main thrust of his ministry, but he right, did right. reach out to, and work with and heal and bring salvation yeah. to Gentiles. Yeah, we looked at a couple of cases in the last few weeks at church. You know, the centurion up in uh, Caesarea, the woman mm-hmm. up on the yeah the uh, Syrophoenician the woman, coast, yeah. right? Yeah. So I mean, it, it was it was not against the rules, but it was really. Um, odd for people to see him doing this kind of thing and for both of those we just mentioned jesus proclaimed him as having great faith right more than anyone in israel so right. i mean yeah so the gentiles are definitely part of the picture well you want to go on yeah we better because simeon has more to say that really is quite <laughs> fascinating okay in verse 33 and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him and simeon blessed them and then he said to Mary, his mother, to Mary. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is to be opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Right, right. Ouch. Yeah. Well, and you know, as we read this, since we know the story so well, none of this really surprises us. But I, I think to a certain degree, what he just said surprised Mary and Joseph a little bit, because this isn't just king stuff this is well it's partially king stuff but it's a it's a bunch of other things which are really a little bit odd you know this child is appointed for the fallen rising of many in israel well you know the messiah was always thought to come and it's going to bring down the evil and unjust rulers they were going to come down the ones who have great power the ones who were first will then be last mm-hmm. but then this rising of of many in israel and when we talk about rising we're talking about people who are in the lowest place in the culture that they're actually going to be lifted up they're going to get what they don't have right okay now. but mary understood that she did because yeah. if you look back in luke one at the song that she sings yep, the, she what's it. known as the magnificat yeah she says that very thing god is going to reverse he's going to lift up the mm-hmm. humble and bring mm-hmm. down the proud so i would encourage you if you haven't taken time to read that go check back into luke one and it starts in about verse oh, i don't know verse it's the middle of 46 yeah, and yeah. runs through 55 right. mary's song where she yeah. says these very things about this baby is gonna turn things around yep yep so this is this is uh 
you know, when you look at the Messiah coming, he's going to turn the apple cart upside down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the literal fulfillment that he says the first will be last and the last will right. be first. It's, it's that topsy-turvy thing that you think you have power, you think you're in the place of influence, you're going to lose that. And people who have no influence will find themselves in prominence. And it says he's going to be a sign that is opposed. And mm-hmm. I've always thought, found that interesting because what we're saying about this little baby that he's holding right now right. is that he's going to be a target of opposition mm-hmm. that's what the sign that is opposed is all about and people are going to look at him and they're going to oppose him which you know if you're thinking about the coming of the promised messiah it's such good news it's it's interesting that right here simeon says well it is good news the messiah is here but he's going to be the target of opposition it's not going to be smooth sailing it's going to be a rocky road and they're actually going to target him daily to try and take him down and we see that happen in the gospels with the pharisees and that's going to be very very painful for his mother yeah and simeon says that to her and that i think is is again a comfort of the holy spirit speaking Mm -hmm. to mary you know i'm telling you ahead of time there is going to be pain in your future yeah associated with this son yeah so a sign to be opposed and that that implies swords and then he goes on and says, you know, and, and one of those swords will pierce even your heart mm-hmm. because of what's going to happen. And then I love the last line that he yeah. brings up. The thoughts from many hearts will be revealed, may be revealed. Yeah. And I always thought that was so fitting of Jesus because in his ministry in the Gospels, that's what you see him doing. He just comes into the midst of people and suddenly what was hidden about the nature of their hearts is He's revealed. Exposed. And, yeah. and, and he had that effect on everybody. Yeah, just it's astonishing. And when it had that effect with the Pharisees, they got mad because <laughs> because technically they are paragons of righteousness. And once their hearts were revealed, we find out, well, maybe not paragons of righteousness after all. Yeah. And if you read, you know, Jesus' conversation with people, he was always after the heart. Yeah. No one could turn a conversation to deep things as quickly and as directly yeah. as Jesus did, as recorded. He in had the a way of his of a turn of his word in, in order to kind of reveal people. To pierce the heart. Yeah, well, in fact, we, we looked at the, the the attempted stoning of the woman caught in adultery, and uh, and sure enough, he said some very simple things, and their their own consciences suddenly became mm-hmm. apparent when he right. says, those right. without sin cast the first stone. Well, you know, they all slunk away. There's their hearts being revealed right there. Well, we're running short on time. Should we move on to the second stranger? Yeah, let's talk about Anna. Okay, we're still at the temple. We're still trying to get this sacrifice well, done. Well, because she's probably knows Simeon, right? They're probably. Yeah, but they've seen each other. People who are looking to God ha- kind of have a way of finding one another. Yeah, I think the Spirit yeah. connects them. Yeah. So let's read on, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. There's some beautiful little tidbits in this story. Yeah. I always like to point out to start with that she's called a prophetess. A prophetess. Yeah, write that that down somewhere. Yeah, yeah. She's a woman who actually, a prophet is is just someone who speaks for God, speaks God's words. Speaks God's words. Yeah, and so she's given God's word and she speaks it. I was a little bit disappointed the first time I read this passage and saw that she's a prophetess and she doesn't say anything. But she does. (laughs) But she does, and that's what's interesting. We just don't have this long text attributed to her, but we know exactly what she was saying. She's talking about the redemption of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, yeah. the redemption that God has sent for all those who are waiting for it, yeah. for looking for it. 
Yeah. So, you know, what? every time we use the word redemption, you have to think of a purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, something, a price Someone's paid. in debt and a price is paid. Uh, many times this word is translated as a ransom, which is actually not a bad translation. So so we're talking about the fact that you, that Jerusalem and Israel in general is in debt somehow. There, there's, some, there's something wrong. And the only way that that wrongness is going to be switched is if someone comes and pays the debt. That's the redemption. And so she realizes that, and she's waiting for the coming of that redemption because God promises in the Old Testament so many times that I will be your redeemer. I'm the one that will come and pay that price for you to get you out of this prison. Unfortunately, the Jews at the time of Jesus thought that the prison they were in was their, you know, right. occupation by Rome. Right. And yet Jesus uh, comes and says, "That's not really your first problem." <laughs> and John the Baptist is sent before Jesus in order to say, "That's not really your first problem. Your first problem is your enslavement to sin itself." And God's plan to deal with that, the redemption for that. And so she understands that, and she's waiting for this redemption to show up because God promised it. So we're given a lot of detail here about her life up to this point, and you had some beautiful insights regarding her widowhood and her long years of of longing when yeah. we were talking about this earlier today. Well, it's just it strikes you as kind of odd when you read this passage and spend so much time talking about her marital status, mm-hmm. and which is kind of interesting. I mean, she was married for seven years. Uh, apparently, the husband died because she became a widow, a widow. at that point. Uh, and yet here she is 84, and she's still a widow, which means she never she never remarried. Right. And now I don't think it was because she was not marriageable. I think there was something more deliberate in her mind. And because when you see her here as so dedicated to the Lord, it's so focused on the coming of his Redeemer, who's going to redeem Jerusalem, something kind of switched in my head and i thought about ruth Mm. so why don't you take it from there remember the story maybe we should do a slight recap just quickly on what ruth is all about well so ruth was a foreigner right she was a moabite woman right but she had married a son of naomi and they all down there in Moab, the, all the husbands had died. Naomi's husband had died. Ruth's husband had died. All and the, men the other were dead. son. Yeah. And they go back to Jerusalem. And the long story short, this beautiful love story where Ruth finds Boaz, who is identified as her kinsman redeemer. Great story. He marries her. And suddenly there is a promise of hope and future. And we know that that King David was born of that line, and Mm -hmm. ultimately Mm -hmm. Jesus was born of that line. Yeah. And it's it's Naomi's condition and her her daughter-in-law Ruth's condition that they were unmarried. And so for them... they were poverty-stricken. They're widows. Destitute widows, profoundly in need of redemption. Yeah, and in that culture, when you lose your husband, you lose your means of income and all. I mean, you're, you're... basically in debt and so so the language in ruth is that when she finds someone to marry ruth which is boaz he has he is called the redeemer because it redeems them out of this life this sub life of not having their husbands anymore being widows widows are very powerless people so so i was reading that and i read in ruth 4 14 at the end of this really good story this is they all lived happily ever after portion of ruth Is it says uh, in Ruth four fourteen that the women said to Naomi, "Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel." And so it dawned on me, well, that was kind of Anna's story. She mm-hmm. didn't seek a redeemer, uh, you know, a, a new human husband. Redeemer. Right. Yeah. It looks as though she has actually sought a redeemer from God. So instead of looking for her Boaz, like Ruth did. 
uh, Anna was content to say, I will seek the Lord as my Redeemer instead. And that language in Ruth is not accidental. The word Redeemer comes up so many times as in Ruth as a, a mention of what, what her marriage to Boaz was, is redemption. Well, this idea of the Redeemer actually is a deeply Jewish one, and it Very. runs all the way, especially through Isaiah. Yeah. But the book of Ruth talks about it. The law regulates the kinsman Redeemer. So, you know, when Isaiah speaks about a Redeemer coming, he says, your your redeemer is the holy one of israel yeah well the yeah. holy one it was what jesus was what jesus called. was yeah so it certainly dawned on me that that anna has a lot to say to us not because of what she says here but because of her lifestyle she has chosen to the age of 84 not to seek a husband because she has sought god himself as her husband and you see it really clearly let me read for you out of isaiah 59 really fascinating um, is it 59? No, 54. Isaiah 54, 5. Uh, listen to this. It sounds like God is talking to Anna. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. So Anna's lifestyle is to say, I am looking not for another husband, a Boaz. I am looking for God himself to be my redeemer. And I think that's the power of her message and inclusion in this story. She actually embodies what the entire nation of Israel, their posture should have been coming with Jesus, should have been just like Anna, just like this, looking for him, but they missed him instead. But she was there, and she, just by her lifestyle, condemns Israel's lack of attention on the matter. And so when she encounters Simeon and these young parents and this new baby, and right. she and the Spirit says, this is what's going on, and she turns and speaks to all who were waiting for the all redemption of Jerusalem. All who were waiting Jerusalem. for the redemption. Are you waiting? Are you looking? Are you for looking God for this redeemer redeem? that the prophet Isaiah said, a redeemer will come to Zion? And right. she, she took him literally and said, I'm waiting. Okay, so the verse you just referenced is Isaiah 59, 20. Yeah. And a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. Turn from transgression. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of the, uh, the bottom line on Anna's message. Are you waiting? Are you seeking? Are you ready to turn? Are, do you realize that you're in debt in to your own sins mm -hmm. and you want to turn from that transgression? How you get out of that indebtedness? The Redeemer himself, God himself, will come and pay the price for you and your sin. That's all wrapped up in her, her life right here. She represents what Israel should have been when Jesus came. But most of the people were asleep. Well, we are like out of time. <laughs> but here's the final word. God is seeking those who will seek him. Exactly. Right? He says, yep. uh, come to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Yep. Turn to me. Yep. So that is our invitation to you. Yep. Yeah, if you're, if you're turning from transgression, not that saying you made yourself perfect, but you're tired of sin, the Redeemer will come and pay the price to pull you out of that sin. That's the message here. And the Redeemer has come. He's come. That's right. Well, we're glad you're with us. This is More Than Ink, and we're glad. hope you have a great Christmas. And remember, the core of the Christmas story is about the coming of this Redeemer. So I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And join us next time on More, More Than, Than Ink. There are many more episodes of this broadcast to be found at our website, morethaninc.org. And while you're there, take a moment to drop us a note. Remember, the Bible is God's love letter to you. Pick it up and read it for yourself, and you will discover that the words printed there are indeed more than ink.